you. So please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to pick up at verse 5. Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons and served their gods. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, the king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. When the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them, Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. The spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. So the land had rest for 40 years, and Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. That's our text. Let's pray. But we ask your blessing on the study of your word, and we thank you, God, for your faithfulness. And I ask, Lord, that you would minister to all who are present, that we would see in the life of Othniel ourselves. And that, Lord, as you allowed your spirit to come upon him, this idea of, of moving him, this idea of, of troubling his spirit and beating regularly upon his heart, that he would be moved by the plight of his people. And that he stood and he made a difference. He fought against Cushan Rishathaim. And so, Lord, I pray that you would move in our heart to see ourselves there, that we too would be faithful. We ask your blessing on the study of your word, and we thank you now. So, Holy Spirit, please lead us into all truth, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, please be seated. My son had the privilege to lay the wreath at Arlington um, from his class from Oaks Christian. And, uh, and then when they were at the World War II Memorial, uh, an honor flight came in with all these World War II veterans, many in wheelchairs. And uh, there were two schools that were there, and all the students who were eighth graders lined up. And, and they lined up the entrance as these World War II veterans were coming in, and they all began to cheer. My son was moved by um, a World War II veteran in a wheelchair who was crying and just said, I, I never received anything like this. Thank you. And here my son at 14 years of age is touched by a generation he knows little about, but it moved him to want to know more about that generation. I say that because we don't teach, and we're not true to the, to the historical text in our classes today, to allow our children to understand the gift we've been given of a nation of freedom, land of the free and home of the brave. And instead, what we're finding is we're finding a nation that doesn't understand individual responsibility or accountability to the Lord. We have... We have removed, we have pushed aside the Lord from the center of our culture. It used to be that the word of God was preeminent even in our vernacular where we'd say, you can't change the spots on a leopard. Now that comes out of the book of Daniel. And we can go through a number of these little pithy sayings that all come from biblical uh, backgrounds. And, and we talk about the widow's might. We talk about a number of things like that that are all from a biblically literate culture that has now passed from, from the scene. That generation's gone. We now have a generation that's been raised completely, and this is the X generation, raised completely on, a, on evolution. Uh, there's no prayer, uh, no Bible reading in schools, and this is a generation that's been completely trained in that regard, not understanding our founding fathers, not understanding why we have the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, why we have the Bill of Rights, these amendments, not even understanding the significance of them. And many in our generation don't know them, quite frankly. 
And here we're watching our, our rights erode, and we don't know how to defend them. We don't know even what they are, and we don't even know when they've been taken. But the problem is we put God aside. We don't understand the significance of why those rights were put there. We don't understand the biblical precedent for why they were put there. And now we're struggling as a nation. And, and what's fascinating to me is it says here in verse 5, it says, Thus the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. It says that they dwelt among them instead of the Jebusites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Amorites dwelling among the Israelites. You see, the Bible says, Be in the world, but not of the world. And, and the problem is the church is influenced by the world instead of the church influencing the world. We, we, we go through the methodology of church, but we've put God aside. Even in our churches, we've put God aside. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Churches don't teach the Word. They don't go verse by verse. They don't go chapter by chapter. They don't go book by book. They certainly don't give the whole counsel of God's Word. You're going to get topical. You're going to get all kinds of different aspects, but you're not going to be fed the Word. So thus, if the Word isn't central to a, a sermon then Christ isn't central to a sermon. You've put him aside. What have you put him aside for? Videos, smoke, lights, music, uh, entertainment, uh, just to keep your attention in this video generation because, you know, heaven forbid we study. Even though the scripture says in 2 Timothy 2.15, study. And the word in Greek for study means study. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And, and when you worship something, whether it's Baal or Asherah, when you worship them, you spend your time and your treasures and your talents. So if you go through a list of the course of your day, how much time do you spend with the Lord and reading his word and spending time in prayer and communing with him, as opposed to time in front of the internet or time in front of the television or time in front, this, you can see the imbalance. God has been put to the side. He's not the center of all that we do. He's not the, the glasses for which we look through the world with a worldview. We allow others to influence our decisions and, and, and we don't apply these truths because we don't know them. We don't know them. And so we come to a place where we dwelt, they, they dwelt among these folks that, that didn't honor God. And the fascinating thing about all of the, the cultures that were listed, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the, uh, the Jebusites, and the Hivites, the interesting thing about those cultures is they didn't have God in the center of their culture. Instead, what they did, much like the Greeks and the Romans, when they had a sin that would beset them, when they had a sin that they were addicted to, when they had addictive aspects to their life, whether it was alcohol or drugs or sexual addiction, instead of, of seeking a God to give them deliverance because they were in bondage, they were in slavery to these things, and many of you know what it's like to be enslaved to a drug addiction, enslaved to a sexual addiction, enslaved where you just, you say, I swear to God, I'll never do it, and you do it again. You, you know that. I know that. I, I'm well aware of that. And the idea is instead of recognizing and agreeing with God that it's wrong, instead we turn it into a god or a goddess and we worship it. Thus you have Bacchus, the god of alcohol. You have Aphrodite, the god of sexual you know, pleasure. And so you just replace the sin and make it a god or a goddess and it has control over your life and you embrace it. So you no longer agree with God. He's been removed from your life as, as, as the filter to view life. And instead of having him in the center of your life, you move him to the side. And what you do is you now make excuses for your sin. Instead of it being the death of a child, it is now a choice. And I don't, I don't say that to condemn. Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world. I came to forgive the world. But we must agree with God and see it for what it is. Everyone in the room has been affected by abortion. I'm not here to condemn anyone. If, I, if anyone's condemned, I am. I, I feel it just like you do. 
And, and we can all agree that our culture's been affected by it. You can't go through 70 million abortions and, and everyone in the room's been affected by it. So the question is, do we agree with God? And do we put him back in the center of our life? And, and that's what repentance is, agreeing with God. But instead, what the culture did is they made excuses. If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. We've made excuses. But you, the idea is, is the husband of one wife, faithfully married, we've made excuses. It's not adultery, it's an affair. And, and God's saying, agree with me, put me back in the center of your life. But the children of Israel didn't do that. Instead, they dwelt among all of these cultures that, that deified sin. And they joined with them. And they worshipped at the temple of Baal, which is a god of financial prosperity, much like Molech, where Molech was a god that you would heat its molten hands and you'd place your infant child on these hands and sacrifice that child for the sake of financial prosperity. We think, how barbaric. Well, I can't have this child now. It's, it, it's going to ruin my career. It's inconvenient. We've all experienced this. All I'm saying is, I'm not here to have you get angry with me or me get angry with myself. I'm here to say, can we agree that this is what God wants and we're not doing it? That's all we're looking for. Because what has it brought us? A nation in decline. $19 trillion debt, $1.5 trillion in the state of California alone. All these things. What has it brought us to put God aside? And so when it says that they dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, and then it says they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons, and they served their gods. They served them. They gave their life to them. We give our lives to financial prosperity. We give our lives to comfort. We give our lives to anything but the Lord. And I have news for you. God's not interested in your comfort. He's interested in your faithfulness. We're going to see in this man, and it's going to rock our world. So just put your seatbelts on, because this was a tough study for me. I didn't enjoy it. I'm candidly, I didn't enjoy it. It rocked me. And so when we see that they're serving their gods, they've put God aside and embraced the world's culture instead of the living God. The church is there. The church has become a place where, where we, we want to... We want to get what you feel you need, and we, we want you to be the customer, and so we're going to try to appeal to you as opposed to what does God want? And people shop churches like they shop stores. And the, and the Lord is looking for men and women whose heart is faithful to them because this nation needs men and women who have God in the center of their life. And this is where these judges come from. This is where the Lord raises up men and women to save the nation of Israel. So it says in verse 7, the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They didn't just, you know, do some things wrong or they, no, they did evil. They had put God aside and they embraced Baal, they embraced Asherah, and, and they did evil. They, they just said, this is what we do. And it's fascinating to me how the lingo of the world reaches into the culture of the church as opposed to the lingo of the church reaching into the culture of the world. I hear people that can quote, Gary Smalley more than the scriptures. And not that I have anything against that man, but I'm thinking, do you know the scriptures that he's referring to? No, but I know what he says. I'm stunned by that. And, and so we come to a place where it says they did evil in the sight of the Lord. God sees it. And as children, uh, when, you know, our children as parents, we look at our children and quite honestly, as, as a child goes to put a fork in a light socket, as a toddler, you slap their hand. No. 
That will hurt you. And the child cries, but they don't forget. The Lord chastens those he loves. And if they forget the order of those in authority, they forget God's declaring, it kills us. Sin isn't evil because it's forbidden. It's forbidden because it's evil. God wants us away from it because it kills us. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. God wants to save us. Sin puts us in bondage. He delivered them out of Egypt into freedom. We've come into a land, the land of the free, the home of the brave. This is where we are. We've experienced more freedom than any culture on the face of the earth. Because we have personal responsibility to a living God... We, we seek good in order to obtain excellence, and we watch as our culture is flourished. When we remove God, put him aside, we implode, and everyone is dependent on the government and on each other, and we're entitled. And, and we're existing, we're not living, we're not accomplishing, we're not creating. We just sit and, and marinate in stupidity, waiting for our check to arrive. We don't seek good. We don't seek service of others. We don't seek betterment of our lives. We just sit and take. And the culture implodes. Children. One of the very clear pictures of a culture in decline is their birth rate is in decline. Children. You know why a a, a culture in decline, the birth rate goes down? Because children require selflessness. They're very, very expensive. I think of all the vacations my wife and I could have enjoyed, the travels around the world, but we have these five sinkholes. <laughs> I, I just walk in and money just comes flying out. It's like vacuum cleaners. They just drain you. And they require late nights and early mornings and sleepless nights and consternation and burden because you, you labor over them. And when they go through trials and they do what's wrong, you, you burden for them. And then the discipline, that means you have to get off your barca lounger and go discipline when all you want to do after a 50-hour work week is just sit down and relax. And they won't let you. And then you invest and you pour into their lives and then the report cards come. And, and, and the reward for having grandchildren is that you didn't kill your children. But children require selflessness. And that's why our culture doesn't want them. They're inconvenient because it's about me. But the Bible says, be fruitful and multiply. Blessed is a man whose quiver is full. That's five arrows at the, mo- at the least. And we're like, well, I've got my one and I got the boy and the girl and I'm done. And if that's you, I'm not here to dump on you. I'm just saying God wants us to be fruitful and multiply. You say, well, I, we live in California, we can't afford it. I just, we just dedicated Rowan in the first service. Uh, <clears throat> Rowan's mother, Chelsea, her father, Brett, they both went for higher education in Tennessee, came back to California. And when they came back, uh, Chelsea now has unbelievable college debt because she's now an MD. And, and Brett went on to get further education. And the two of them, in the midst of medical school, had Rowan. So, and some of you are going, well, I'm waiting until it's convenient. It will never be convenient to have a child. Never. And, and it will never be affordable to have a child. But God commands it. He commands it. And this is a culture in decline because we're, we're selfish, not selfless. We don't realize that children are a blessing from the Lord. Blessed is a man whose quiver is full, that those are arrows we shoot into a future we'll never see. And we're to train them in the way of the Lord. 
And we create a community where, where life is promoted. Families are promoted. They look at me with five kids. Sometimes we'd go through the checkout stand. Some of them are homeschooled. They would look at us and say, why are you not in school? I'm homeschooled. Oh. <laughs> why do you have so many children? Because the Bible says so. I got my five. My quiver's full. Let's move on. <laughs> they did evil in the sight of the Lord. And this is that idea that says, they forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals, Baals and Asherahs. Therefore, the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim. You say, gosh, that's vindictive. Why would the Lord sell them into slavery under Cushan Rishathaim? By the way, Cushan Rishathaim. I'm glad that he's going to die here because I don't have to repeat his name in the coming weeks. Cushan Rishathaim, his name means dark and exponentially evil. I don't think I need to go any further with that. Dark and exponentially evil. And, and here, God sells them into the hand of this king of Mesopotamia, dark and exponentially evil. He says, sell them into the hand. It, it's real simple. When your children come of age, 18, 19, 20, 21, and they are still stubborn and disobedient, and they go, I'm leaving. Some of them won't leave because you make it pleasant for them. You enable them. You take care of all the consequences of their sin and all their disobedience and you pay for it and you shell it out. And then you're in a place where you're making some money so you're able to do that. And they don't have to worry or mature or grow or be accountable to the Lord. You're just covering all those things. But it does come to a point where if you love them, the Bible says, uh, if you spare the rod, you hate the child and the Lord chastens those he loves. And the idea is to discipline. Discipline means you're going to face the consequences of your actions. When you were two years old, I would slap your hand when the fork would go in the light socket. But at 18, now that you're your own person, I'm going to let you experience the consequences of your life. Fly, be free. And they, poof. Some of them, you know, really try to make it happen. And I've had to do that. And it's not pleasant. And man, are kids stubborn. And you let them go out there and they think that they know what's right. And they're just out there eating Alpo. And they miss the filet mignon back at the house. They go, I want to come home. Well, have you decided to put God in the center of your life? Because as for me and my house will serve the Lord. No, I just want the comfort of the home and the filet mignon there. Well, that comes with obedience to the Lord. He blesses. You see, the first five commandments are your relationship with the Lord. Second five commandments are your relationship with each other. As you honor those, God blesses you and gives you abundance. Levitical laws are the protection of private property, civil government. And that's how we function as we get along with each other. We serve one another. We serve the Lord. We serve each other. Hey, but if you're just here to serve yourself, you're on your own. Well, it's really hard to make a living because you have to go to work. <laughs> yes. Yes, you do. Rent's expensive. I know. I really need these shoes. How much are the shoes? Because you have 40 bucks. They're $120. Mm, you don't need the shoes. What you need is $80. <laughs> well, are you going to give that to me? No, you're going to go earn it. I can't, that's going to take forever. Thank God for the $15 an hour. And so the Lord sold them into slavery. What the Lord did as a parent is he just said, you're out of the house. 
And what they did is they ran after the thing they wanted the most because they put God aside and they found themselves enslaved into the system of Baal and Asherah under Kushan Rishathaim. Dark and, and exponentially evil. And I have news for you. The world is a really dark place. And, and I know because I've been there. And when you leave the comfort of your parents' home and you go out there to show them and abandon the Lord and run, you end up in places you never thought you'd be, doing stuff you never thought you'd do. You draw a line, I'll never cross that. You wake up in the morning going, that line is so far back there, I don't even know how I got where I am. Who am I? Looking in a mirror in those mornings, you'd awaken going, who are you? And the emptiness in your soul and the absence of God and wondering how you've strayed so far. And we are a stubborn people, just like the children of Israel. Look at this. It says, the anger of the Lord was hot against them and he sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishathaim, the king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim for eight years. So if you go, oh, so what, eight years? Jonah being swallowed by the whale shark, because it was a fish, Jonah being swallowed by the whale shark, in the belly of the whale shark for three days, it says he cried out to the Lord. I would have been crying out to the Lord the minute I crossed the teeth of that creature into that belly. And you can imagine Jonah in that thing. You know, digestive juices and the acids, and he's partially digested, his hair's all burned off, and he's sitting with partially consumed sea creatures, and the stench in that thing, and it's tight, and you're just, just and you're, it, it's almost like a skin peel. It's probably very therapeutic for his facial issues, but <laughs> just in the belly of this thing, and three days, you're going, I'm dying, good, and you're going deep, and your ears are popping as the creature's going up and coming down, and, and you're just fighting the Lord. I can make it happen. I can, I can do this. You don't understand. Okay, I I surrender. It took one of my kids over a year. And when 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 a friend of the family, a family member went to go help them move, where they were living was just awful. And the stench of that place. And they tried, it was like living in the belly of the beast. But but I'm gonna do this. And physically it wiped them out. It, it, it digests. The world just consumed them. And the Lord brought them back because they yielded. It took eight years for the children of Israel. I'm just saying, we've had this president for eight years. What is enslavement? It's losing your freedom. What have we lost in these eight years? Let's think of the First Amendment. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, abridging the freedom of speech or the freedom of the press or the right of the people to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. The following actions listed now as you go through and you can see case after case can get an American citizen living on U.S. soil labeled as a suspected terrorist today. And this is really simply some of the things that can get, la- get you labeled as a suspected terrorist. Y- using social media, reporting or doing journalism, speaking out against government policy, protesting anything, criticizing the government's targeting of innocent civilians with drones. U.S. citizens targeted with drones, killed without a, 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 a trial. So, well, they're terrorists. Maybe they were, but they're U.S. citizens. We have the Bill of Rights. 
If you buy gold, you're suspected in the sense of being a possible terrorist. Having bumper stickers saying things like, know your rights or lose them. Wearing a hoodie, driving a van. Uh, Liking the founding fathers, being a Christian. Being anti-tax, anti-regulation or for the gold standard. Being reverent of individual liberty. Being anti-nuclear. Believing in conspiracy theories will get you labeled as a suspected terrorist, a domestic terrorist. Um, If you insert religion into the political sphere. You support political movements for autonomy. If you're anti-abortion, if you're anti-global, if you oppose genetically engineered foods, you're, you can be labeled. If, you, if you, you oppose surveillance, the Second Amendment. However you feel about guns, this is, this is the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, period. It's hard to read the Second Amendment and not honestly conclude that the framers, quite honestly, intended gun ownership to be an individual right. You just can't get around that. Gun ownership, and I love this author, he says, gun ownership was viewed as a deterrent against abuse by the government, which would be less likely to mess with a well-armed populace. You won't have the First Amendment without the Second Amendment. The First Amendment is to protect us from our representatives. We, the people, we give them power on loan, and the press holds them accountable. The pulpit holds them accountable. Both have stopped. The right to peaceably assemble holds them accountable, and the freedom of speech holds them accountable. The freedom of speech is under, under attack. The freedom of the press is under attack. The freedom of religion is under attack. And thus, the Second Amendment is under attack. You can't have the First Amendment without the Second Amendment. And they can take those. California is the most oppressive violator of, this, of the Second Amendment. The Third Amendment prohibits government forcing people to house soldiers. And you say, ah, oh, nobody houses soldiers anymore. Well, quite honestly, if you think about this, I, I read this one article. It's fascinating to me. Uh, the, 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 um, the Third Amendment says, no, no soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner, nor in time of war, but in a manner to be prescribed by law. And then this man, uh, Jacob Applebaum, notes that the NSA may be digitally violating the Third Amendment. By way of background, uh, Applebaum was the main force behind an expose in the Spiegel ma- magazine and gave a must-watch talk on the NSA's systematic or systemic offensive programs to com- commandeer computers and computer systems, phone connections and phone systems and communication networks of all types. Applebaum shows that the NSA has literally taken over our computer and our phones, physically intercepting laptop shipments and installing bugware before them, uh, before themselves shipping the laptop onto the consumer, installing special hardware that overcomes all privacy attempts, including air gaps, i.e., keep a computer unplugged from the internet. Applebaum also notes that spyware can suck up a lot of system resources on a computer or smartphone. And he says this is a digital equivalent of soldiers being stationed in our house against our will. The idea, and some of you have phones that have been drained. Some of you, listen, this isn't conspiracy theory. This is a reality. The Fourth Amendment prevents unlawful search and seizure. The right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, effects against unreasonable search and seizure. Again, this idea that they read, they have access to every email that you write. I don't know if that's what our founding fathers intended the government to have the ability to do. The Fifth Amendment, due process of law, an eminent domain, double jeopardy, grand jury. The Sixth Amendment guarantees a right to, have a, um, to hear the criminal charges levied against us and to be able to confront the witnesses who have testified against us. And in the Sixth Amendment, it's already been violated because citizens right here, uh, citizens of the United States of America who are possibly known terrorists without a jury trial as citizens, not, not combatants, but as citizens, uh, drone strikes have been made on them. That's a violation of the Sixth Amendment. 
all of these are dwindling in our time. As the government becomes bigger, the citizens become smaller. Eight years, Kushan Rishathaim. And, and it's at that point, after eight years, that the children then cry out to the Lord, question, when are we going to have had enough of this? Because you know what crying out is? Prayer. <laughs> I don't know what I have to do or what I have to say to get people to come to prayer. And, and I know you can't attend on a Sunday night. We do it after service, second service. Maybe if you would gather in corporate prayer with others. My question to you is, do you apply corporate prayer? Do you cry out to the Lord and intercede? As it says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, prayer should be made for all men, for kings and those in authority, that we'd live quiet and peaceable lives in all godliness and reverence. This is the will of God. It's good and pleasing. Do we do that? Do we do that? Because if we're not, we're not crying out. We're still in the eight years. We're still in the belly of the beast and we're stubborn. And this is, this is the travesty of it all. They wait eight years. Could you imagine if God responded to us like we respond to him? After eight years, we cry out to him. We go, God, help me. And belly of the whale, God, help me. And God goes, you know, could you give me eight years to respond? Because I'm, this is heaven and I'm really busy. And he just puts us on hold for eight years. He is, he is patient and long-suffering, wanting that none would perish, but that all would be saved and come to a repentance of the Lord. And repentance is simply this. Agree with God. Put him in the center of your life again. That's all it is. And when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, when they prayed, when they lamented, when they agreed, when they put God in the center of their life, at that moment, they, God delivered them. And the way he delivered them was a man by the name of Othniel. Othniel. Interesting man. In the next eight minutes, I'll share with you and we'll close. Othniel, his, his name means the force of God. The force of God. It also means the lion of God. This is a man who's pretty fascinating. He's the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And you find him in Judges chapter 1. I'll read it to you. Starting in verse 11, it says, From there they went against the inhabitants of Debir. The name of Debir was formerly Kirjath Sefer. Then Caleb said, whoever attacks Kirjath-Sephir and takes it, to him I will give my daughter Aksa as wife. And Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. And so he gave him his daughter Aksa as wife. And now it happened when she came to him that she urged him to ask her father for a field. And she dismounted from her donkey and Caleb said to her, what do you wish? And so she said to him, daddy, which is, caused any father to melt, give me a blessing since you have given me land in the south, would you give me also the springs of water? And Caleb gave her not just springs, but the upper springs and the lower springs. The upper springs and the lower springs. So, Joshua, Caleb, Caleb fought the giants. Joshua comes in to take the land. There's still portions not taken. Caleb looks and says, this portion was supposed to be taken. There are giants in there. They're, they're like Goliath giants. He says, if anyone's willing to go up to Kirjath-Sefer, uh, I will give him my daughter, Aksa. And Othniel's like, I'm in. I'm in. 
Here's a man who is the force of God. Here's a man, as it says in Song of Solomon, and this is by the ancient rabbis, they declared him to be one of the most righteous men of all the judges of Israel. He is the preeminent of all the judges of Israel, Othniel. They said he was a resplendent man. He was a righteous man. He was a faithful man. And here he is his whole life. He's honored God. And Caleb says, who's going to take it? He says, I'll take it. Ox or nothing. This, this has to happen. God told us to occupy the land. I'm going to take it. And he goes in and he battles these giants and he takes the land and, and, and he gives him, uh, Caleb gives him Oxa, his, his daughter. And Oxa's like, could you ask my dad for the really cool portion of land? Because where Kirjath Sefer is, it's, it's arid. It's, it's just a little bit below Hebron and it's just inland from the Mediterranean. So it's arid area. So to, to get a place where there's water springs, he, he doesn't just give him the upper springs, he gives him the lower springs. So he has the best plot of land in all that area. This place is, this is the pinnacle. This is the Santa Rosa Valley. This is, this is, this is beauty right here. This is stunning. This is an ocean view. This is Malibu on the ocean side. And you have well water. And you've got fruit trees and you've got luxury. And, and this, this is Othniel's place. And he is laden with it. And the reason why, you know why he has this? Because when you honor God, you're blessed. It's that simple. He honors God, God blesses him. He does what he's told to do, God blesses him. And there's an abundance of it. And Othniel is, and, and he's looking and he's, he's watching this nation remove God, put God aside. He's watching them implode, going after Baal and Asherah. And here he is in, in, in Kirjath Sefer, with his wife, Oxa, he's watching the nation implode and he's got it made. Time out. He's 90 years old. This is Winnebago time. Travel the country. I got mine. I got mine. I got a foothold in California. My house is paid for. By the way, did you know that Thousand Oaks is the 13th wealthiest city in the United States? And they base that on mortgages and the, it just came out. They sent it to me this week. Just per populace, just just the little center here. The cost of our mortgages, the number of people who have their mortgages paid off, the median income of the area. It's a very wealthy area. Palo Alto is the most valuable in that area up in the north. We got ours. We're all good. And I got enough to kind of give to my kids, my grandkids, and we're gonna just gonna and and I and and I'm I'm gonna just step in and it's comfort. I got things I want to do, places I want to go. And I got mine and I honor the Lord. And hey, listen, you're all suckers because you don't do it. And this is why we're, why would I want to invest in any of you? I mean, I got mine. Why would I want to do anything for people who've walked away from the Lord? I get tired of the church. I get tired of the country. I get tired of politics. I get tired of all this. It's you people. I got my little compound. I got my place. And that's Othniel. He has got the most beautiful place imaginable. And by the way, Kirjath Sefer, it's a, it's a, pretty cool area. It means city of the oracle or city of the book. It was a place of learning as well. He's got the center. We got the word up here. We got a really nice spring. We're in an arid land. The word of God flows. My family's inundated with the word. We've got a really neat setup here. And so they've, they've got this, this place that's a city of the oracle, the city of the book. And it's in a dry and weary land where there's no water, but they're fine. And in the midst of this, it says that God raises up Othniel, a man who owns Kirjath Sefer, a man who has oxes as his wife, a man who's already done fighting. I've done, I've put in my time. I'm 90. Right? 
And then it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Verse 10. The spirit of the Lord. It's the first time in the scripture we see this concept. The spirit of the Lord comes upon a man. Nowhere else but here. And then it's going to go on through the book of Judges. He's the first one. The spirit of the Lord came upon him. The idea is, is the word, is the Lord put on this cloak of his spirit. Put on. It's like putting on a garment. He's covered in the presence of the Lord. His life is exemplary inside and out. And God puts this, this coat on him of his spirit. We find in Colossians chapter 3, it says, But now you yourselves are to put off, take off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. Don't lie to one another since you've put off the old man and his deeds. And put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Put God in the center of your life again, where there's neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is in all and, uh, is all and in all. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on, take off the world, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ has forgiven you, so you must also do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So the scripture says that the spirit of the Lord came upon him, put on him. But it also, the word for came means that the spirit of the Lord troubled him. We find this listed in, 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 in Samson's story later on in the book of Judges. The Spirit of the Lord troubled Samson. Pharaoh's dream, it's the same word in the Hebrew for came upon means to be troubled by. The, the Spirit of the Lord troubled Pharaoh in his dream. When there were seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, he was troubled in the dream. Daniel in chapter 2 verses 1 and 3 was troubled by the dream. The word troubled, it's real simple. It means moved, impelled, agitated, beaten. God is beating on the door of your heart. You're troubled. You're troubled by the condition of the nation, but you've got your upper well, you've got your lower well. Just give it a rest. No, no. I'm 90, Lord, I don't care. It's what they did. I served you. Yeah, they need to be delivered. You're it. God doesn't care about your comfort. There are people that need to be delivered. There's a nation that needs to be saved. Spirit of the Lord troubled him, moved, impelled him, agitated him, beat him. I have to tell you, I know that beating. I know that beating. I am stubborn. I hate hospital visits. Hate them. I'm super good at them, but I hate them. And I'll tell you why I'm super good at them. Because it's not me. I'm driving into the parking structure at Los Robles and my chest is tight. I, 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 have a, I have a reaction, especially since my mom died. I don't know how to describe it. I'm driving into the parking structure. I'm affected. I'm walking to the doors of the hospital. My heart is affected. I'm fighting God the whole way. I finally get to the door and say, God, please. I know you want this. Man must decrease your speed, must increase. Help me, God. I walk through those doors. I get that badge. I clip it on. And God's presence comes over me. When I walk into that hospital room, there is no physical description of what God's doing. It, it can only be described as spiritual. I checked out a long time ago. If Rob McCoy walked in that hospital room, I'd look at you and go, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible to be you. I walk in and my heart breaks. I'm filled with compassion. All I can tell you is the spirit of the Lord. 
That is a beating by God. That is being moved by God. That is being agitated. That's being impelled. That's being, that's God. Don't tell me you're moved and do nothing. You've got your upper spring. You've got your lower spring. Everything's fine. I've already fought. He's 90. He's got oxa. He has it because he was faithful. He worked hard. But God beat on his heart. You know what he did? He rose. The scripture says he judged Israel. To judge means to govern, means to vindicate, means to rule, means to decide in controversy, means to protect, means to care for. He stood up and in the gap and he said, okay, I'll help these people. I'll help them. You know how he helped them? He didn't go, okay, you guys, this is what you need to do. No, he went out to war at 90. Let's go get him. I'll tell you, at 90, he was like Jim Mather. He's like, Jim Mather still does put, he's ripped. You go over to massage his shoulder, he's like. <clears throat> My dad's 88. His birthday was two days ago. I don't know if he'll make 89. But if he had any mind in him left and his body could move and there was a call to this nation, he'd go. The apathy brought about by comfort. You are sitting in this room because men and women didn't have a life. They never got to marry and have kids. And we've been under this oppression for more than eight years. Have we been agitated, compelled, impelled, moved, beaded? Has our heart been beaten? Anything? Because this man in his 90s 90s the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he went out to war and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathaim dark and exponentially evil the king of Mesopotamia into Othniel's hand and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim dark and exponentially evil so the land had rest for 40 years you know what 40 years is a generation for his children his grandchildren to grow up A.W. Tozer said, if the Holy Spirit was removed from the church today, 90% of what the church is doing would still continue to be done. But if the Holy Spirit was removed from the church in the book of Acts, 90% of what the church was doing would be destroyed if the Holy Spirit were removed. It's time to affect the world. It's, it's time to take our position. I would just ask you. We've been working on actuary points for the community. I can spoon feed you. But you know without me even saying a thing that there's something God's calling you to. He's been pounding on your heart. And you're busy running after Baal and Asherah and everything else and God is saying, I want to be center. And there's a people who need to be delivered being taken out of slavery and you're it. And I know you know this because you keep coming back. This is the call to this fellowship. It's a unique and blessed call. And there isn't a more capable group of people because all that's necessary, and this is it, all that's necessary is first we're going to see with Othniel. 
with Othniel? It's the spirit of the Lord, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. We're going to see with two other judges that it's the word of God. And finally, real simple, it's not your ability, but your availability. Everybody in the room qualifies. I look around the room, I see Kevin, a man who takes medical supplies that hospitals don't use and sends them to third world countries. I I, I can pinpoint ministries throughout this room of things that people just saw it and they did it. There's something God is hitting your heart with. I've already talked about a thousand foster kids. We can can get that done in, in a year's time. We, we have a CPC that's about to shut its doors. I put together, I put forward that open door concept. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. What are we doing? You got your upper spring, your lower spring. Okay, it's Othniel time. Let's go. Let God get your attention. And may the Lord bless you and empower you in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, I, I confess that the study of Othniel's life was heavy for me to receive. Lord, there's so much that I'm not doing that I know by your spirit you have been lovingly prodding me, tapping on the door of my heart. And Lord, that your spirit would come upon us, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. That Lord, we'd be moved by the things that move you. That we would be tired of the enslavement that we face as a people and we would strive to go to war to set them free. And Lord, here we are in freedom because men and women went to war to protect our freedoms. And we in apathy because we're happy with our upper spring and our lower spring do nothing. God, save us, compel us, move us as a people that we would not dwell among them, but they would dwell among us and they would be influenced and affected and touched by us. Lord, thank you for Othniel. Thank you for the inspiration of his life. Holy Spirit, we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.